get used to different. That's not what many of us want to hear today. It's not what we're looking for. What we'd rather hear someone say on this Sunday morning, the first Sunday of a new year, is that just be calm, be cool. Everything is getting ready to go back to the way it used to be. That's not what I'm hearing the Lord say. Much has been said about 2020 being a different kind of year, the year we just came through. And to be truthful, living in the year 2020, it was almost like living in a high-speed blender. You didn't know which end was up. I read this just this past week that Burger King in Brazil created a sandwich to exemplify what 2020 was like. Listen to this. It was a sandwich that included a chicken foot, an actual chicken foot, overcooked noodles, sardines, thick caramel sauce, and jello. And it was all served on a burnt bun. (laughs) That was 2020. (laughs) That was a sandwich. You'd almost have to look hard to find some good in this past year. I mean, who could have anticipated the pandemic that robbed us of so many of our precious and dear loved ones and and friends? The blow to the economy that caused so many people their hard-won jobs. I mean, you started out at the bottom, you worked your way up from the bottom rung of the ladder, and you thought you'd be there the rest of your life. You went to school, university, you trained, and you landed this job. And then all of a sudden, it's been snatched away from so many people. Jobs that they actually thought they would retire from someday. Businesses collapsed. People lost life savings. And that was, that were totally wiped out. And as a church, we lost members of our church family that broke our hearts to lose. And COVID-19 in reality was only just the beginning. Stop and think about it. I mean, right on the heels of that was the George Floyd murder that shocked our nation and revealed just how much racism still exists in our country. And then the debacle of this last election. Do we even want to get into that? Because it's left our nation divided. And there are people, many people, who still don't know if the results of the election are honest. My taxi driver in Africa laughed and turned around The last time I was over there before this most recent trip, I just got back yesterday, but the time before, and he said, we always look to you in America as the standard of excellence for elections. And he said, you guys are as bad as we are. That was his statement to me. And he laughed. People have struggled ever since last March to deal with the stress that's been caused by the uncertainty and And to be honest, like the song says, it's been like a a cloak of despair and fear draped around the hearts and the shoulders of very many people. But what you have to look at is that in the middle of all of those things, God has been faithful here and here and here and here and every step of the way, God has never let us down. And you can look at the negatives or you can say, God, look what you brought me out of. Look what you've done for me. Look how God has been real in the middle of it all. Many of our online church family sitting at home are struggling to deal just like all of us here are and cope with 
what happened during the past year. But we must not focus on the negatives because in the middle of all of this, some of us have even been blessed and prospered. Amen. The one word that I feel like best describes the year 2021, prophetically speaking, this is the word that I feel is different. Different. That's the word that the Lord keeps impressing upon my heart. 2020, as I've already stated, was a different kind of year because many of the familiar ways of doing things, of us doing things, of God doing things, all of that was changed and upset in a matter of two weeks. Two weeks, that's all it took to stop the economy, to slow everything down, to empty out sports stadiums and arenas and cause you to stay home from work. This virus completely changed our behavior, didn't it? I mean, look at the mask that we're having in here. I'm so tired of these things. Am I the only one? I'm so tired of these things, but I keep wearing them. I want you to also. Flying to Africa this past week, I had to wear this on the plane all the way from Houston to Amsterdam, the several hours in Amsterdam at the airport, then on the plane all the way to Africa, then in the taxi all the way to where I was going, had to wear the mask, then on the way back, had to wear it all the way from Africa to Amsterdam in the airport, and then all the way back to the United States. This is the truth. I'm not making this up. I feel like I have blisters on the top of my ears where these these things right here, I guess they have big ears or something. Just these, these straps have rubbed across the top of my ears. Amen. We've had to learn to adjust the things that we don't like, like hand sanitizers, no shaking hands. When was the last time you shook hands with somebody? They stick out your hand, you stick out your elbows. A pastor, I want to shake everybody's hand. I want to just hug people. And I find myself Whenever I go to shake out my hand or stick out my hand and someone else sticks theirs out, then I remember and I got to switch and do the elbow bump kind of thing. And, or you can do the wushan shuffle is what they call it. And you, you know, rub foots, you know, like that. And you know, we just can't get used to all of that. We try empty sports arenas, as I've stated, empty bowling alleys, cinemas, And even empty theaters on and off Broadway. Restaurants shut down or severely limited in their seating capacity. You even have to make an appointment to go to your bank. Who would have thought? And then you go into your bank wearing a mask. One year ago, if you had gone into your bank wearing a mask, when you came out, the FBI, the police... The sheriff's department would have had the whole building surrounded. Amen. Never would I have dreamed that we would have come to a place like this in life. Churches were shut down. And in spite of the First Amendment guarantees of protection, we were forbidden to have services while everybody else remained open. Target was open. Walmart was open. Lowe's, Home Depot. We go on and on and on. They were all open. My favorite response to how ridiculous this was took place in Little Holly Springs, Mississippi. This is a true story. The authorities shut down the Sunday services at the First Pentecostal Church in Holly Springs. So Pastor Jerry Waldron took his 45 members to the local Walmart and finished having their service there. Amen. That was my favorite response. Just this past week, 
we received this emergency notice on everybody's phone. You remember that on Wednesday, just before Wednesday evening service. Cancel all gatherings. We didn't know what was behind that. So out of an abundance of caution to protect our membership, we said, okay, we better find out first what's behind it. Thinking that there might be some dramatic surge that had just occurred. As it turns out, it was just the local authorities using the mobile phone system for the first time to get out the same message they had been communicating all along. And I think they did it that way, frankly, deliberately, so that churches would cancel their services. Because most churches are going to have a midweek service on a Wednesday night. And so that's why we're having service here today. I had to send out a, an email and a text message. Yes, we're back up and running. We're here. Amen. And by the grace of God, we're going to continue to do what we need to do to protect everybody. So I encourage you, whether it rubs a blister on the top of your ears or not, you, you need a mask. Amen. But that's not the only thing that's changed in the way that we do business. There are now Zoom meetings and conferences and video conferences with your doctor. Who would have thought that you'd be on the phone with your doctor, FaceTiming your doctor instead of going in for a doctor's appointment? And they still charge you the same thing. Amen. School closures. How many parents here have learned more about Common Core than you ever intended to know? You want to cast the demon of common core out of your household. Amen. Social distancing and being unable to celebrate the holidays with your family. People working from home. All of these things going on. We aren't doing things in the same way that we did them before. An example of that is hold out your, in your little finger. Just hold out your little finger. How many of you are you losing, are using your little finger for things you never used them for before? I use them to open doors now. I used to use my whole hand, but the problem with that is if my nose or eye itches, then I scratch my, my nose or my eye with my index finger. And if you touch the doorknob that somebody else touched that might have the virus, you could transmit it to your face. And so I've learned to open doors with my little finger. I now have the strongest little fingers in the world. Amen. As a church, we've learned to do new ways to minister to members who are not able to, to attend due to the legitimate concerns they have about their health. We've developed online inspired church family and we've developed a presence and ministry to minister to people that can't come and it's been amazing because we've had folk that are tuning in from all six continents to watch our services that are getting saved it's been unbelievable to see what's happening people are watching us from all over the world Discipleship in the middle of this crisis has actually grown stronger than it's ever been at Inspire Church because we have been, we have created so many online Bible studies. We have online Bible studies for men, online Bible studies for women, online Bible studies for young adults. We have a class for seniors. We've learned how to have prayer calls online. For example, many churches would have a watch night service and stay and pray the old year out and the new year in. You know what we did? We did that by phone right here at Inspire Church with a whole bunch of people connected praying together. So the devil's not shut us down. We're still doing God's work in 2021. Amen. 
Children and young people are growing in God's grace too because of the online tools that our team has developed to help them. It's amazing to watch this. But to be honest, 2021 is going to be a different kind of year. And we have to stop treading water. Because that's where many of us have been. We've been treading water. Waiting for things to get back to the way they used to be. And God is sending a word today to tell us, get used to different. Stop looking for me to be like I always have been in the past. And we don't like that because we get used to what is comfortable. And we want it to be that way for the rest of our lives. But God is saying, I'm bigger than what you've seen me be in the past. I can work in different ways than you're accustomed to me working. The problem is, is that different is uncomfortable. If you act or dress different, you stand out. People notice you. They mark you. We don't like that. We want to be accepted. We don't even want to be around people that are different from us. Have you noticed that? We have a tendency to cling to our tribe, cling to our family, our clan, our nationality. If I'm in a foreign country and someone sits down beside me on an airplane or in a restaurant and they hear me talk, they'll look at me and say, you're from America? And I'll say, yeah. And they'll say, what part? Yet if they were to meet me here in the streets of Houston, they would never ask a question like that. It's just we have a tendency to gravitate to our own kind. We don't like being around things that are different or in circumstances to which we're not accustomed. And that can be a problem. And there's a reason that that is a problem. It's because God sometimes doesn't do things the same way that he's always done them before. And he isn't doing things the same way that he's always done them now. He's doing something new right now. And that doesn't mean, I want you to hear what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that he's going to go back to the old. It means that we've got to get used to things that are being done that are new. And I want to read my text now and I've waited till now to read it. In the book of Leviticus, and it's even there on the screen, the graphics. Chapter 26, verse 9 through 13. I want you to listen to this. I will look favorably upon you, making you fertile and multiplying your people. And I will fulfill my covenant with you. God's not going to forget his promises to you. And then in verse 10, you will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. I, God said, will live among you and I will not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you can walk with your heads held high. That's the word of the Lord. That's the word of the Lord. I want you to notice for today in particular, and I'm going to confess to you that I will not have time to unpack all of this in one sermon. It's going to take me another two or three weeks just to be able to establish the direction 
that we're going based on these verses. But please look particularly at Leviticus 26 and 10. You will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. And God is telling Israel that in the middle of the wilderness. And you may be in the wilderness right now, but God is saying there's a day coming when you're going to be so blessed, you're going to have to get rid of what you've been storing up because I've got new stuff coming in and new blessings and new favor and new anointing and new promises. And I've not forgotten you, but I'm for you and I'm going to open heaven over your life and good things are coming. Hallelujah. I want us to bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you for the incredible presence of God that is here. And I'm praying that you will open your word to our understanding this morning. And help us to hear the voice of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So my word for this year is getting used to different. Getting used to different. With God, different will actually be better. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Did you hear that? He's able to do above what we are able to ask or think according to the power that works in us. With God, different usually means better. As Bishop Morris Golder, some of you may remember the name from years gone by, used to say many years ago, God exceeds his own greatness based on this verse. What he did at one point, he comes along and supersedes that and transcends it by doing something better. Bishop Golder could say it like this, who else but God could go away and never leave and come back and already be here? Mary's God became Mary's baby, yet never ceased to be Mary's God. Mm. You see, you and I act like life is over just because things have changed. It isn't. I'm here today to tell you life has not come to an end. God's favor is upon you for more than you've ever imagined. To succeed in 2021... We're going to have to change our attitude toward change. You see, we like the past. But not letting go of the past can keep you back from what God is doing right now. That is why in Isaiah 43, 18, God said it like this. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Did you hear that? Because that's what we want to do. We want to stick out the past and say, this defines for us what God did. These are the capabilities of God. And God is saying, I'm so much bigger than that. Forget about that. Because if you get tied to that, you're not going to be getting this. And you're so focused on what I used to do that you might miss out on what I'm doing right now because while you're looking this way, I'm actually working right over here. Amen. But we hold on to the past. You ever heard about hoarders? You know what I'm talking about? 
They're people who can't let go of anything. Do you know where the term actually comes from? It comes from two brothers in New York City called the Collier Brothers. Homer and Langley Collier are the two best known hoarders in all of history. In New York City right now, there is a very small corner lot located at 2078 Fifth Avenue where their house once stood. Today, it is a very small park named Collier Brothers Park. It is one of a number of very small parks known as pocket parks that you will find located throughout the city of New York. The Collier Brothers were the sons of a famous but eccentric doctor and a retired opera singer. The two brothers never married, and after their parents' death, they continued to live in the home in which they had been raised. Homer was an attorney. Langley was both an engineer and a professional concert pianist. And for four years after the death of their parents, they continued to interact with people around them, went to church, taught Sunday school, had business, played concerts, worked, and then they began to slowly decide not to get out of the house. Exactly where some people are living right now. Until finally one of them would not even leave the house at all. And the other would go out and collect tons of junk at night. Which they stacked from the floor all the way to the ceiling. And when they died, the city carried away 120 tons of newspapers and other junk that the brothers had collected. Stacked from the floor to the ceiling. And they would create tunnels that they would have to crawl through to get around in their own house. And finally, they died in their house. And the neighbors began to complain. They said there's some kind of a strange odor coming from the home. And the police went in and found both of the brothers dead. And they literally had to condemn the house because it had deteriorated so badly. They took away 120 tons of junk and then had the house torn down and the lot was turned into a pocket park. It's what they call it in New York. And for years afterward, when parents would tell their children that their rooms was messy, this is what they would say. Go clean your room. It looks like the call your brothers are living in there. Literally, that became the phrase they would use. Do you know? That in the church we've got hoarders. In the church we have people that hold on to the memories of what God once did. The miracle that God provided. The way he answered prayer. The song they used to like. The style they used to like. The way they used to like things done. And God moves on. And they're still holding on to it. Embracing the past. And won't let go of it. And the result is they get left behind. Buried in the rubble. Of what God used to do. Instead of being alive and thriving. In the middle of what God is doing right now. But to experience what God wants to do next, you have to be willing to let go of the familiar. You see, because God is not married to the past. He refuses to be limited by it. He delights in doing doing new things. He declared in Isaiah that new things would come. Jesus came to give us a new covenant. Our Lord told us that we would receive the new birth. 
Christ promised that believers would drink the new wine of the Spirit. He said they would speak with new tongues. He gave us a new commandment that we would love one another. Paul tells us that we are are new creatures in Christ. For believers, all things have passed away and all things have become new. We have received a new heart. We walk in newness of life. We serve in newness of spirit. We have put on the new man in Christ Jesus. We have received the new testament in his blood we have been given a new and a living way on resurrection morning we're going to have a brand new body we will sing a new song when this life is over we're going to a new Jerusalem when we get to glory we're going to have a new name there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth God is doing new things somebody give him some praise in the house Isaiah 43, 19, this is God speaking. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. This is the word of the Lord for this house. Some of you feel like you're in the middle of a wilderness and don't know which way to go. But God said, I'm getting ready to make a highway, a freeway right in the middle of your wilderness. You're not lost. I know exactly where you are. Some of you are in the middle of the desert and God's getting ready to cause the river of life to flow right through where you're standing right now. Your marriage is going to be rejuvenated. Your home is going to be rejuvenated. Talking to somebody whose ministry is getting ready to be rejuvenated. And God asked this question. As the King James writes it. Shall you not perceive it? Do you not have eyes to see what I'm doing? God is up to something new. It's always important that you study the context of anything that God says in scripture. And in the case of this passage in Isaiah, God was telling Isaiah that he was going to deliver Israel in a way that was different than he had ever delivered his people before in the past. When he brought them out of Egypt in the past, he used a man of God named Moses to deliver the people of God. But this time, and this is literally what Isaiah prophesied, God was going to do a new thing. Instead of a Moses, a man of God, God was going to use a pagan king named Cyrus, head of the Persian empire, and an idol worshiper to deliver his children and rebuild the city of Jerusalem and rebuild the house of God. I'm talking to somebody right now. You think you're hemmed in with no way out, but God's going to use a pagan somewhere to open a door for you you that you don't even realize is there somebody in the building ought to give God some praise hallelujah God's going to cause a pagan to finance your ministry God's going to open doors that are closed to you right now and he's going to use a pagan to do it God's going to use a pagan, somebody that doesn't even serve him. And you don't need to look at the package. You don't need to look at the mailman. You need to look at what's inside the package. That's a word from God for somebody in this house. We wonder, can God work in challenging times like this? (laughs) God, it's so dark. Can you even do anything? We think 
that the days are too oppressive, the circumstances too dire. But we forget that God works in the night as easily as he does the daytime. Mm. This is what the psalmist said in Psalm 74, verse 16. He's speaking to God. You own the day and the night. Sunlight and starlight call you creator. The four corners of the earth were formed by your hands. And every changing season owes its beauty to you. Did you hear that? He owns both the day and the night. I said he owns the day and the night. We think God can only work in the daytime, but God sees in the dark. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah and felines can see in the darkness. Hallelujah. You see, we expect him to be limited because we feel limited. The disciples on the road to Emmaus could not understand what God was doing after the crucifixion. They heard that the tomb was empty. It didn't fit in with the familiar way that God had always done things. They were in such a season of darkness. They thought, surely God has abandoned us. And Jesus had to show up and set things right in their minds. And tell them, oh, you that are slow to believe the prophets. There's something about God and he's at work. And you are so accustomed to looking at him work in one way that you don't even see what he's doing right now. Hallelujah. He was at work in the crucifixion. He's at work in that empty tomb. And I'm here to say that 2,000 years later, we look back and we say, thank God for the crucifixion. We say, thank God for the empty tomb. But then they could not understand it. That's because the season had changed. And seasons change, don't they? The psalmist David said that every changing season owes its beauty to you. Seasons change. They all have their own unique beauty. Even though the beauty of one is dissimilar to the beauty of another and it's unique in its own way. We all love the spring, don't we? Who loves the spring in this building? Anybody? You love the springtime? You love the riotous explosion of color? You love all the, the, the different colors? It's almost like you're being able to, to see the palette of God as he paints the masterpiece of creation with all these different colors in the springtime. Everybody loves the spring. But the spring is followed by the green shades of summer that are beautiful in their own way. The green fields that are slowly ripening of grain as the summer wind gently caresses the fields and the fields sway in motion as though they're saying hallelujah to the heavenly creator above ripening fields of grain on quite summer days lazy summer days punctuated by loud thunderstorms and flashes of lightning and and sweet summer rain and then there are the swirling splashes of greens and browns and and golds and reds and oranges in the fall that make to me the fall one of the love times of all of the year and then there's the winter and some of you love the winter I love to fly in and see it but I just don't like to stay there and that's whenever the snow blankets the ground and and the green spruce trees are are covered with snow and their branches heavily laden we love it especially the winter time we love it when you get to see the snow but then I get back on the plane and I come back home where it's nice and warm amen and I really love that amen You see, every season has its own beauty. And the problem with some of us is we want to get stuck in one season. 
you didn't hear what I said. And God says, I'm bigger than one season. Hallelujah. I can work in... I can work in the spring. I can work in the summer. I can work in the fall. I can work in the winter. I I can work in the day. I can work in the night. It doesn't matter to me. I'm still God in the middle of it all. And you may be in the middle of the darkness right now, but God's word to you is I'm still God. I'm still in charge. You may be in the winter, but God is still in charge. He's still on the throne. You see, what's important is that we must not miss what God is doing right now. The fact is, is that even though God loves new things, you and I prefer the old. We want things to always be easy, comfortable. We don't like to have to make adjustments or deal with change. We guys like the same lazy boy, don't we? (laughs) When it's been patched and duct taped, we still refuse to let it go. Amen. The little wife says, we're going to put it out by the road. No, you're not either. That's my chair. It's got my name on it. I know wherever spring is at that's broken, I can sit, I can twist, I can contort. I can, I can be comfortable and buy old chair. Amen. You see, people want things to remain the same. And if we do agree to accept new wine, this is the condition we put on God. God will accept new wine, just put it in old wine skins. We don't want the wine skin to change. We don't want the presentation to be different. We want the familiar. And we become like Naaman, the mighty Syrian general. You remember him? A man who was accustomed to being put on a pedestal. A man of great military prowess and intelligence. A man that did not know fear. Who was courageous and strong on the battlefield. And instead was feared by others. He came all the way from Syria to Samaria to be healed of the dreaded disease of leprosy. You know why? Though he was a mighty man, there was nobody in Syria that could heal him. He tried all the ointments, the medications. He took vitamins. He took the the medicines. He went to all of the doctors that might have been at that time. But nothing could heal him of his leprosy. And one day, a little servant girl, a slave girl, that he had captured in his military excursions against Israel, said to him, Oh, would that my master was in Samaria. Because there's a prophet in Samaria, a man of God, who could recover you of your leprosy. And when Naaman heard that, he said, what are you talking about? And she explained, there's a man of God named Elisha. And if you were to go to Samaria, he could heal you. And Naaman said, get everything together. He rallied his troops, got them together, got an entourage, and they journeyed all the way to Samaria. And he pulled up outside the, the, the man of God's house, the prophet's house, in his expensive chariot. And he sent somebody inside because this is the way you would have done it. You wouldn't have gone inside by yourself. He sent one of his servants inside. They knocked at the door and went into the house and they announced... Mr. Naaman is here. And they expected the prophet to get out of his easy chair and say, Oh, he came to see me. Let me go and and let me bow down and let me welcome him. That's not what the prophet did. The prophet kept on watching the TV and said, get, Get out of the way. You're in front of the big screen. Amen. The game is on. And the prophet just looked at him and said, Go tell Naaman to dip in the river Jordan seven times. And the stunned servant that was accustomed to pomp and ceremony went out and told his master with a bewildered look on his face. 
He said, the prophet just said for you to go and dip in the river of Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. And Naaman was also flabbergasted. He became angry. He fumed. He sputtered. He couldn't even talk. He was, he was incensed and outraged. He was accustomed to being received like a head of state. And he just stood there and he said, go dip in Jordan, are you kidding me? That muddy river? And it was true because there are times of the year whenever the Jordan River, there's been so much rain that it it turns the color of the bayous in Louisiana. Coffee colored. <laughs> it gets dark like seaport. Dark roast, community, dark roast coffee. And he said, I'm going to go dip in that and that's going to make me clean. Well, we've got cleaner rivers than that. And he named two of them in Damascus. I could go just as easily go dip in those. And he got mad and he snapped the reins on his chariot and got ready to take off. And the little servant girl said, wait a minute, master. If the prophet, the man of God had asked you to do something noble and strong that demonstrated courage. Like go out and fight this battle or go do this or some incredible feat of strength. You would have gone, wouldn't you? And Naaman said, yes, I would have. And she said, well, before you leave, at least go dip in the water and obey the words of the man of God. And she got through to the man, Naaman, and he went and he dipped and nothing happened the first time. Nothing happened through the sixth time. But on the seventh time when he came up, the leprosy was gone because God touched him and cleansed him. And you may have to hold on for a while. And you may have to do what God asks you to do and be faithful for a while. But if you do, your breakthrough is coming. Do you hear what I'm saying? God will honor his word. God will honor his word. And we're like Naaman. Naaman, before he dipped in the water, he was so furious. This is what he said. I thought surely the prophet would come out recognizing that a dignitary had showed up. And I thought he would strike his hand over the place. I don't even know what that means. You know? And recover the leper. And instead he's insulted me. You see, some of us are expecting God to do it that way too. We got it all figured out. It's got to happen like this. And God looks at you and says, I'm not going to be your God in the box. I'm going to do things out of the box. I'm going to change things up, but I'm still God. Am I preaching to anybody right now? And we're looking that way. And God said, I'm coming from this direction. And we're expecting it to be done like this. And God said, no, I'm going to do it in a different manner. I'm done. But as we wrap it up, who could have expected God to have done it like that. And you look at the history of God working with mankind throughout time. It's always been like that. God always shows up in unexpected and unlooked for means. Who in the first century expected Christ to be born in a manger? God with us? born of a virgin virgin you've got to be kidding i mean that was the first even for god but the reason is as i conclude is that god's ways are different from our ways god often offends the sensibilities of the human mind to reveal his glory 
In Isaiah 55 verses 8 through 9, this is what God said. For my ways are not, or my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways, or your ways, sorry, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord that God is speaking to inspire church. God is going to do things different this year. He not only likes things that are different, but what you need to know is that when God does things that are different, they're better than the things he did before. Somebody ought to give him some praise right now because his ways are better. I want to give you five New Year's Eve resolutions or New Year's resolutions. Eve is over, sorry. Five New Year's resolutions that will help you adjust and change your perspective to be able to receive what God is doing. Number one, go ahead and make the adjustment in your mind. God is still in charge. Could somebody say that? God is still in charge. He has not changed. And it's about trust. And you trusted him in the daytime. Now you got to trust him in the nighttime too. And you trusted him during the spring, but now you got to trust him in the winter. And you trusted him when the flowers were blooming, but now you've got to trust him when everything has died. And number two, this is the second New Year's resolution. Recalibrate to the new realities. Adapt to what is going on. Stop treading water. Stop waiting for things to go back to the way they once were. Things may never go back to the way they used to be. But it doesn't mean that God is not alive. He is still here working in the middle of everything that is going on. You need to adapt to this fact. He's still God and he wants to show you that he is. And even when he asks us to follow him, where he leads us off the map to a place we've never been before, I want you to know he's still God. Sometimes the GPS won't lead you the right way. How many of y'all know the GPS will flat out lie to you? I've had it lie to me many times. Go this direction. That's the wrong way. I know it's the wrong way. Amen. I was one time taking some of our staff to a, a conference in, at DFW, the airport in Dallas. And there was a hotel where the conference was going to be at. And it took us 45 minutes to get to the hotel once we got in the airport because the GPS t- kept telling me to go the wrong direction. And we went in circles about four or five times. And each time we'd look and say, there's the hotel. And finally, I told the GPS, shut up. And I cut it off. And I went the way I knew I should be going following back streets when God leads you where the GPS doesn't know where you're at you can still follow God because he knows the way give God some praise somebody sometimes he asks you to get into a boat and he sends you straight out into what becomes a terrifying storm 
but he's still God. Sometimes he asks you to feed a multitude with only a few fish and loaves of bread, but don't despair. He's still God. Sometimes he asks you to walk on water and you know that's impossible, but he's still God. Amen. Sometimes he tells you your dream isn't dead. It's just asleep and everybody else is laughing at you. And Jairus says, but she's dead. And Jesus says, no, she's not dead. And if you can listen to him, he is the master. He will make your dream come alive in 2021 when nobody else believes that it is possible. Sometimes after you've toiled all night long and caught nothing, he'll show up and he'll say, launch back out. But this time I want you to go into deep water and let your nets down on the right side of the boat. You were using the left side. Now use the right side. And a seasoned fisherman is going to say, what difference does it make? All I know is that he's the way maker. And if he says do it, he's still God. Hallelujah. A dark night can be like an eternity. And you can toil all night long and your marriage not change and your business not change and your finances not change. But he's still God. And if he says launch back out and keep believing, then you launch back out and you keep believing because your miracle is on its way. Third resolution and I'm done. Remember, you can't live on yesterday's faith. And there's some of you that need to hear this. You can't live on yesterday's relationship with God. Yesterday's worship service. Yesterday's touch. Yesterday's faithfulness. Yesterday's prayers. Yesterday's service. Yesterday's giving. None of that will get you through today. You need a faith that works right now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Not yesterday faith. Now faith. I need somebody to shout it out. Now faith. Now faith. Now prayers. Now worship. Now faithfulness. Hallelujah. Number four. The fourth resolution is trust him to still be in charge. And know that his favor is on you for so much more. I'm talking to somebody that feels like God has abandoned you. You feel like your best days are over. They're not. His favor is on you for more than you've ever, ever imagined. And it took the dark night of the soul that you've been going through to cause you to appreciate the sun that's getting ready to come up in your life. Something's getting ready to change. You think God's through using you, but he's not. You think the anointing is lifted. You're wondering if you'll have a ministry anymore. (laughs) And God sits in the heavens and just laughs and says, if you knew what I knew or know, If you knew what I know, if you could see what I see, amen. You wouldn't say that. You would say, God, bring it on. And the fifth thing, the fifth resolution, and I want you to say this to your neighbor, look at them and say these words, get used to different. Say it out loud, get used to different. Now, I realize that's not what some of you wanted to hear. You wanted me to get up here and say, it's all going back to normal. 
What I need you to know is that he's going to be God in the middle of your wilderness. He's going to pour out for you a river in the middle of your desert. And what you're going to do, and this is the prophetic word, you're not just going to survive. You're going to thrive. Somebody give God a shout of praise. Somebody give God a shout of praise. 